Alright everybody, happy Friday. Um, this is the long-awaited cannabis podcast I've been promising you um, for a couple weeks now. I know it's been delayed and I apologize for that and I just wanted to do my research and make sure I had something put together so that it was um, it was good. And that you, whatever, however long you listen to this to, if you choose listening to it, that it's informative and effective and can help you make decisions. So, um, so let's start with a couple, basically cannabis myths and fat versus facts and things like that, and we'll kind of walk through this in a few steps. Uh, you know, cannabis has been in the past described as a a gateway drug, and it's it's honestly really depressing to still see senators and people in in upper echelons of government referred to as a cannabis as a cannabis as a gateway drug because the reality is uh, nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, the past myths and past thoughts about cannabis were based purely on opinions and non-factual evidence. And now that we have facts and data, because it's been legalized for over a year in many states now, we can actually look at what's actually happening on the ground and have provable data points and facts to dispel just about every myth about cannabis out there. Um, let's start with the, the biggest one that's a gateway drug, that using cannabis um, leads to other drug uses, you know, cocaine, heroin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the, the myth, and the fact is that in every single state to date that has legalized cannabis for medical and recreational, uh, a couple things have happened. They've seen about a 20% immediate drop in opioid overdoses. They've seen an immediate drop in alcohol sales. They've seen an immediate drop in prescriptions written for conditions such as pain management, sleep disorders, PTSD, uh, depression, etc., etc. They've seen an immediate drop in alcohol-related driving accidents. They've seen an immediate drop in alcohol-related um, domestic abuse things and domestic disorders and bar fights in colleges. Ironically, they've also seen a reduction in teenagers who report using marijuana. Maybe because it's legal, it's not cool anymore, so they just don't do it. I don't know, but these are the facts. So, when you legalize cannabis, you have an immediate drop in opioid prescriptions, which are extremely addictive, in opioid overdoses, alcohol-related incidents, and you do not see a corresponding rise in other areas that offset those. You can't OD on marijuana. You can't. It's impossible to. You can overdose on alcohol and prescription medicines and illegal medicines and illegal drugs, you know, opioids like cocaine, heroin, but you cannot overdose on marijuana. It's a plant. Just like you can't overdose on basil. You can't overdose on oregano. So far from being the gateway drug to harder drugs, what marijuana is, in fact, a gateway drug 
off those items, off alcohol, off prescription medicines, off illegal narcotics, off opioids. These are the facts. No matter what anyone else wants to tell you about their theory about it, no matter what anyone wants to tell you about, you know, well, I heard this or I heard that, we have facts now. And the facts are irrefutable. Every state that has reported both, every state that has both legalized recreational and medical has seen these results. Now, obviously, they'll vary from state to state. It's not a, it's not a flat 20%, but that's about the average. So if we take that from that viewpoint, that just about everything you've been told about marijuana growing up is false. And you look at it through a fresh lens and you realize that this is a, a miracle plant. We haven't even started discussing the medicinal uses of it. That industry's in its infancy. There's a medicine out there for epileptic seizures that kids who are having 50 to 100 mini seizures a day start taking this cannabis-based medicine and they report one or two a week. That's life-changing. And it's all natural. It's a non-addictive medicine. You can't OD on it. It's a miracle drug. And the uses for similar type issues with cannabis is just getting started. So when we look at it that way, we look, okay, it's a budding, a budding industry. This is what got me interested in, in it. And this is what started me looking. And so I started looking at the public markets. All the public markets are basically roll-ups. Due to the state regulations, only about 11 states, I think, I actually think that might be 13 now, are legal for recreational. Um, I don't know if they're all open yet or if just passed the law and they got to obviously get their stuff together on it. And about 34 for medical. The only way for the big companies to go into a new state is to basically buy existing operators. And with so many public companies looking at so few public operators, you know what happens. The prices these private operators are selling to these public places are, are amazing. Just amazing. So that's why I've decided that the private space, honestly, is the way to go. Now, how do you do that, right? Where do you look? It's not easy to do. It took me a couple of years to find a group, and I finally did. And turns out they're in my town. My town's only 16,000 people. So let's look at the, let's just look at some basic numbers. It's pretty simple math, really. 91% of Americans favor legal marijuana for medicinal uses. I think recreational is about two-thirds right now. And that's up significantly over even two years ago. As people are, as the, as the myths and falsehoods about the plant are being um, pushed aside with factual data, people are coming around to its uses. Millennials, which are poised to be the largest demographic, replacing the baby boomers, largest purchasing demographic, spend more on cannabis than they do on food. Think about that. Look at the Massachusetts market where I am, and this is where my investments are focusing. 
We have 30 million, I mean, sorry, 33 dispensaries open right now and a population of about 7 million people. So every dispensary serves about 212,000 people. Colorado, kind of give you, they were the first to legalize, kind of give you some sort of comparison, has 700 dispensaries for 600 million people. They have one dispensary for every 8,600 people. Do that math. That's just simple math. You're looking at like 25 times the number of people served by East Dispensary in Massachusetts. And that's just the state of Massachusetts. We border New York and Connecticut, which do not have any legalization. Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine are just in the infancy of theirs. That's a roughly 20 million population served by 33 dispensaries that are open. It's the opportunity is amazing. Massachusetts has the highest consumer use rate in the country. 21% of consumers, of adults, I'm sorry, Massachusetts, have said they've consumed cannabis within the last month. Number two is Colorado at 15%. So we have over 30, about 35% more use in Massachusetts than Colorado does. And as great as the number is, it's only 21%. What happens to the demand for the product when that hits 40%, 50%, when it becomes as ubiquitous as alcohol, which it will eventually? Alcohol, I think, has an 85-90% usual rate amongst adults. Think about the cannabis numbers when that 20% goes to 90%. And the reason, I mean, and this, I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight, but it's going to get there eventually. It's going to be federally legalized. All the walls are going to fall down. The research is going to come out. More research is going to come out about it. That's going to prove the not only just the 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 the, the benefits of it versus opioids, prescription medication, and alcohol, but the medicinal benefits of it too. It has tremendous medicinal benefits to it. Maybe we can get into that a little bit later. So what do you do? You have 33 dispensaries servicing 20 million people around them. Some of these dispensaries, I don't know if you're familiar with Massachusetts, but we have what's called the Berkshires out here. It's a far western part of the state, about 45 minutes from Albany, kind of hemmed in by Vermont, upstate New York. Towns like Lee and Lenox are really the heart of the Berkshires. You can look up online, probably five, six, seven thousand population, tiny, tiny towns. They're really summer towns. People have summer homes out there because the mountains are beautiful. There's dispensaries out there doing almost a million dollars a week in sales. How? People flood over the border from New York because they could buy illegally here. They flood down from Vermont. They come up from Connecticut. Think about that. New York's no closer to legalizing it for even medical than they were six months six months or a year ago. It may not happen in 2020. As far as I know, Connecticut's not even considering it. It's a license to print money right now. 
That's the investment in it. If you want to open a dispensary in uh, Massachusetts right now, you decide today, I've got the money, I want to open one, you're two years from the day your door opens. With all the regulatory hurdles, the inspections, etc., etc., etc. So investing in those who have the licenses, who have the locations, who just need capital to open their doors, the returns are tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Look at the actual industry itself. About 35% of women hold executive positions in the cannabis industry. <laughs> Sorry, 35% of executive positions are women. The national average is about 15%. The median salary for cannabis workers is about, 10, about 11% higher than the national average. So as I looked around at this, and as I looked into it, I realized that it's very obvious that the money is going to be made in the private sector. So our, one of our first investments, we invested in Canapreneur Partners. They're a holding company. It's going to invest specifically in cannabis. We bought founders shares. Our syndicate invested money in them and bought founder shares, which gives us the right of first refusal on all deals they do. We're going to get about a 15% annual dividend. And we also, because we're invested in the founder shares, we benefit in every deal that they do. So we got immediate diversification to the cannabis space from grow facilities to dispensaries, whatever tech deals they may do. To give you an example, one of the companies we invested in, we got a 12.5% convertible note, convertible at any time in five years, at a $90 million valuation, which is one times EBITDA. A group of dispensaries just sold for nine times EBITDA in Massachusetts a couple months ago, or a few months ago, I should say. Think about that. We're money good day one in this investment. So how good is the investment? Well, this company can grow a pound of flour for about $350 to $450. Obviously, depends on the yield of the plants, etc. Cetera, et cetera. There's always some variance. They can retail that or wholesale that, I'm sorry, because they're going to produce so much. They're going to produce more than they need for their own dispensaries. So they're going to wholesale that for about $3,000 to $3,500 a pound. That's 10x, 8 to 10x. Well, they can resell it. They can sell it retail at the dispensaries for about 7000 to 7200 bucks a pound. 20x. Those are, that's, that's the math. When they convert it to oils for tinctures, or edibles, you're talking fourteen to twenty thousand dollars a pound. It goes for. I did a recent tour of the production facility, and they had a, a jar of oil that they had produced. 
their first batch, about maybe half a gallon, about two-thirds of a half gallon of milk, I guess I would say it was. The value of that in edibles, if they could get to 92% THC, they're at 83.8, but they, they think relatively soon they'll be at 92. Again, this is the first runs of these machines, and most of these machines are being specifically designed for the industry, and they're, they're, the, they're, they're the, the first run of a lot of these things. So as they tweak them and fill the processes and, and get some more data, they'll get to 92%. That little jar is worth half a million dollars. I held it in my hand. And that was just one run, one harvest out of seven grow rooms. So it's going to be double stacked. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Every room produces a jar like that worth half a million dollars. It's, it boggles the mind. And I think that's where the industry is going. And that's when the industry will have a lot more social acceptance when you're not smoking or vaping it, when you're able to take a lozenge, you're able to specify your dose because some lodges maybe you're 2%, some are 5%, so you can do it that way. You don't smell like smoke. You're not breathing stuff into your lungs. It's just a lodges of THC that you get all the health benefits of the plant, and then you get the obvious, you know, other stuff. It's, it's incredibly profitable. And this company has... 10-year supply agreements with other, retail, with other retailers to supply them with cannabis for 10 years. It's just math. And the math is just amazing right now. This is the spot, this is the time, and this is the opportunity of a lifetime, in my opinion, which is why I'm so focused on it. I don't like any of the major players the stock in the stock market. I don't like any of the ETFs. I think that there's probably more downside to the public stocks. I do think a lot of them are going to survive and be very good investments down the road. But I do think there's more pain in store in the short run. And then there may be a couple years of, you know, kind of flatlining before everyone kind of gets it and figures things out. But by getting in now on the private side, you're getting in, this is my thought process on it, you're getting on an industry that's going to disrupt everything. It's going to disrupt the alcohol industry. It's going to disrupt the pharmaceutical industry. And I think the only thing stopping the pharmaceutical industry from getting involved full board is still federally illegal. Once that changes, once that changes, and it will, whether it's 2020 or 2021, you are going to see billions and billions and billions of dollars to send on this industry. And all these private operators are going to get amazing offers. Entrepreneurs can't go to the banks. They can't go get a bank loan, open a dispensary. Maybe some small credit unions will let them bank with them, but no one's loaning money to a cannabis operator. Because it's federally illegal. A lot of people were saying, oh, the state, the SafeX coming up, SafeX coming up. Well, Mike Crapo just shit on that yesterday. He's against the legalization of marijuana. He's against the SafeX. He came right out and said it. 
which means it's not going to go before committee for the rest of this year. And probably, probably not, not until the elections next year. He has no desire to, to legalize marijuana. He's against it in his state. He's against it nationally. And he's against allowing banks to bank in it. So if you're a private investor with capital to invest in cannabis startups right now, you just got a huge Christmas present. I've seen debt deals for 20% interest for six months. Why so high? Well, where else are going to go for money, number one? And number two, it's a race to get open. Paying 20% interest on a loan for six months is nothing when you can get open and open a dispensary and start doing half a million dollars a week. I'm sorry, half a million dollars a month or more. Half a million dollars a month on a dispensary in this area, that, that's not a well-run operation. Most of them are in the sevens to almost a million bucks a month. So yeah, they'll pay you 20% of debt right now because they need to get that when to get the doors open. They'll, they'll say a convertible note at 12.5% interest at a one times EBITDA valuation when they're probably going to get bought out in four years at four to five or six times EBITDA. Why? They want to get their doors open. They're happy to share the wealth of the door but start making money. The faster they're making money, the faster the bio comes at the end. That's first mover status. Then they can't go to banks. And they won't be able to go to banks for probably at least another year. And I'm telling you right now, even when the SAFE Act passes, they're still not going to be able to go to banks. Because it's still going to be federally illegal. Until that changes, banks, even if the SAFE Act passes, banks are not going to get involved with it. The SAFE Act is essentially so credit card processors can safely process the transactions. Right now, it's a cash business. You either pay cash, you know, walk in a dispensary, or you use an ATM card. And it's an ATM transaction. And it's really funny because they got to give you money back. Right? So if your bill comes to $43, you got to take 50 bucks out of your, you do an ATM, just ATM transaction for 50 bucks, they hand you $7 cash back. That's how it works. You cannot use a Visa, American Express, MasterCard, Discover, anyone else. You can't use it. The safe, and so, the government knows they're using losing hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue every year because it's a cash business. So by passing the SAFE Act, credit card processors have no fear of getting involved and they can start more accurately tracking transactions and sales <clears throat> in a lot of these dispensaries and get the cash out of the business and increase tax revenues. <clears throat> This is like the internet 2.0. And some of these companies are going to be the Amazons, the Microsofts, the Apples, the Yahoos. And be dominant, dominant players. You're investing in entrepreneurs that are operating in an industry where on a national average... Probably about 12% of adults use it recreationally. 
And that number climbs all the time. It climbs almost monthly now. We're only 11, 11, I think 13 states have a legalized recreational. You have a huge tailwind coming. You have increasing individual users. You have increasing states legalizing it. You have relaxed banking laws. And you have relaxed federal restrictions on it. That's a massive, massive tailwind coming into an industry. The largest demographic, the millennials, are huge fans of it. They see it for what it is. They see the benefits of it. Just a sec. Oh, Siri. I didn't catch... One time Siri works. So how did you do it? I, I put together, it's pretty simple actually. I put together an investing syndicate. People put in money and accredited investors. You have to be an accredited investor because it's all private market transactions. And we've invested. We've done two deals so far. We've put out a million and a quarter. And looking at early results, I am incredibly pleased. So we're raising more money to invest in more deals. It's just, it's a gold rush. It really is. And it's just getting started. It really is. It's just getting started. And for those people who are able to get in early, back good operators... It's going to be a life-changing investment for you, I think. Whether you use it or not is irrelevant. You know, I, I don't like the CBD space <clears throat> because it's going to come become fe heavy, heavily federally regulated. And I think it should be because a lot of it's crap that's out there right now. And that's going to put a lot of people out of business, which is probably the right thing to do because a lot of the bad operators are going to go under when the federal regulations come out. But even look at CBD. People don't even know what CBD is. You know, CBD comes from hemp. You get it in cannabis too, but you also get the THC. So CBD comes from hemp. So it has none of the psychoactive effects, no THC in it. What does it do? There's a little history lesson for you. Every living organism with a central nervous system has what's called an endocannabinoid system. That endocannabinoid system regulates your body function, specifically pain management, sleep, anxiety, depression, mood, things like that. It helps regulate it. For millions of years, human beings evolved ingesting hemp. Hemp seeds were used to feed animals. Hemp, was, hemp oil was used in cooking. Hemp was probably one of the most useful plants on the planet. Hemp was so strong that our navies used to make ropes for it for their ships way back when. So <clears throat> we grew up, we evolved ingesting CBD naturally through hemp. And it regulated all these functions in our body. It's no different than any other plant that we ingest that does, has good qualities for us. 
know, your dark vegetables are full of vitamin K and vitamin D, and we need that. And if we don't have that, we get vitamin D deficiency, and there's negative responses to our bodies from vitamin D deficiency. If we don't eat any meat or proteins, we suffer negative effects from not eating those. We don't have enough vegetables. We suffer negative effects from not having those. So we evolved over millions of years ingesting hemp in many different forms. And the CBD that that hemp generated helped control a lot of these things in our central nervous system until the early 1900s when hemp was magically declared illegal. Those nutrients, those regulators of our central nervous system were immediately just ripped out of our body. Our bodies went cold turkey on them. And so did future generations of people who had a body that was evolved over millions of years to function a certain way with these certain systems in it that literally was just cut off in a day. So what was the result of that? Well, we have an explosion of various people using various things for pain management, whether it be alcohol, illegal drugs, prescription drugs, etc., etc. We had an explosion of people using things for sleep disorders, whether it be alcohol, illegal drugs, prescription drugs, opioids. We had an explosion of people needing pharmaceuticals for various other anxiety disorders. University of, I don't know if it was the University of Colorado or Colorado State University, it was a university in Colorado, did an experiment where they fed hemp seeds to chickens instead of regular grain. The eggs they produced were 1% pure CBD. Now go with that to other farm animals, pigs, horses, cows. Your milk would have CBD in it. Your meat would have CBD. Your bake would have CBD in it. And see where I'm going with this? We were naturally ingesting this for years. It was ripped out of our bodies. And it's no coincidence. The main things that this vitamin, for lack of a better word, does, we saw severe negative effects from it. And it's no different, as I said before, if you ripped any other highly important nutrient out of the human body, there would be negative effects to that. This is why cannabis is so effective for sleep disorders, for pain management, for anxiety. Why? You get CBD in there. High, high dose of CBD. It magically takes care of these things. Why? Because our body evolved over millions of years to handle this CBD as it got into your body and do it. No, it's not immediate. You obviously have to kind of re get the body rewired to it and stuff like that. But it's all set up to, it's all set up to process this. The issue is, though, as I said before, a lot of it's crap. You know, I use a, a CBD oil from a company called um, Ojai Energetics out in California. That's O-J-A-I Energetics. It's an interesting thing about the CBD. When you first take it the first time, it, tastes, it doesn't taste very good. And then in, as your body starts to restart itself with the CBD... After a few weeks taking the same CBD, it kind of tastes like honey. And that's the trigger that your body is, is functioning with the CBD. 
And then if I forget, take it for a few days to take it again, I start getting that weird taste again. But as long as I take it regular, it, it becomes a sweet taste. And if you take CBD, don't take anything that you have to drink or swallow or eat. Your stomach acids kill most of the benefits. So get something you put on a dropper, you put under your tongue, let it absorb into your mouth that way, you're good to go. It's the best and most effective way to get it. But that's a free plug for Ohio Energetics. Um, you can set it up on auto ship or whatever. And there's no, there's no dosage. Everyone requires different dosage. So you just kind of have to, you know, they recommend you, you do a certain procedure to start. And then after that, it's just maintenance and you kind of figure it out. There's no magic to it. But this is the opportunity. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it is a, it is for lack of a better word, a miracle plant that has incredible uses in many different places. And the industry is just getting started and it's moving at a rapid pace. So there's a saying now in the cannabis industry that a year in cannabis is like seven dog years. That so much is happening so fast that now is the time. Now is the time to get involved and get into it. And either fortunately or unfortunately, the private markets are the, the best way to get involved right now. That is where the obscene amounts of money already have been made and are going to continue to be made for the foreseeable future. And Crapo putting the brakes on the SAFE Act, it was, it was a massive Christmas present to those with capital who want to invest in the space. Um, because it essentially eliminated a lot of potential competition for at least the next year and probably longer at this point. You know, if he, if he manages to keep it out of committee, which if he doesn't, if he's the chairman of the banking committee. If he doesn't put it up to a vote in the committee, it never sees the Senate floor. It's got to go into committee, come out of committee, go to the Senate floor. So he can essentially hold us up for as long as he wants. He's not up for election in the fall. So if the Republicans keep the Senate, unless the next president or if Trump is reelected, start coming down and pushing hard on it, who knows when it sees the light of day? Which means that what happens? Well, these private guys have to still have to go to private investors to raise capital. And they're doing so in incredibly attractive terms. Incredibly attractive. Twenty percent interest on a six month debt loan. I mean that you convertible notes at one times EBITDA. And you look at the EBITDA and you say, you know what, given the, the fact that only one out of three dispensaries is open and they only have three grow rooms going on, they're opening another four grow rooms 
double stacked. The first ones are single stacked. EBITDA is going to double, triple, quadruple the next two or three years. And then you're talking buyout multiples of several times EBITDA. It's one investment. could be a five or six bagger in a couple of years. It's, it's just math. You just look at the numbers. You, they don't, you don't need to be, at this point in time, it will be different five, six, seven, eight years from now. But at this point in time, opening your doors makes you money, gross amounts of money. That's going to change as other states start to legalize and then you get more competition within your own state. That's coming all over very slowly. Then the, the better operators and the better businessmen are going to make money. But right now, if you can get together the money, get a license, get a dispensary open, it's literally a license to print money. 90% margins. If you're a dispensary and you don't have a grow operation, you're buying wholesale at around 3000 to 200000 a pound, and you're selling wholesale at twice that. Roughly 90% margins on a product that grows out of the ground. In Massachusetts, is facing a severe shortage of cannabis. Severe shortage. Why? Well, for five hundred to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, you can open a dispensary. To do a quality grow facility, you know, you're talking fifteen to twenty million. You got to raise, right? So where are most people going? Dispensaries. If you can raise the money to open a grow facility, you're going to make a boatload of cash too. But it's a longer process, obviously. So I don't see any time, anytime soon where. Massachusetts is looking at a equilibrium of supply and demand for the product. Not, not in the last two, three, four years. So, that's, in a nutshell, kind of the opportunity, kind of the, where we're at and Kind of like where I am with it. Um, you know, anyone wants to to have a further conversation about it or explore it further, just send me an email at subs, S-U-B-S, at valueplays.com. And um, I'll be happy to, to walk you through it. Or you can call or text at 508-619-4410. Um, and I'd be happy to walk anyone through it. Um go through more numbers with you, share more of the opportunity with you. And if you're interested and you're a credit investor and you want to get going with it, I'd be happy to do that too for you. Um, uh, but I think, uh, I think it's been 40 minutes, so <laughs> I didn't realize it's been that long. So that's where I'm at with that. Um, you know, a couple of the questions were about individual stocks and stuff like that. And, you know, I don't, I not invest the public market. And I know you got... You know, Heineken, miracle Grow, Corona, Coke, Walgreens, Marlboro, CVS, Budweiser, Estee Lauder's doing some sort of line with it and things like that. I'm not um, I'm not doing anything in the public market with it right now um, because I see I, I want the premiums that they're buying these private businesses at are really high. 
And I'd rather be the seller of that than the buyer. I'd rather be the invest in a company that's the seller of that premium than invest in a company that's the buyer of that premium. And I think for the next several years, that's the way it's going to be. So, I mean, you know, Altria is making a investment in, in, in Constellation Brands is making an investment in the cannabis space for the next 10 years, 20 years, right? Because, you know, cannabis and tobacco, right? It's an ag business. That's what Altria does. You know, Constellation Brands is smart enough to realize that, hey, when they legalize cannabis in the state, our sales go down. So we better get into this space because the increasing sales on this space can hopefully offset the drop we're seeing in our other products. And it's across the board, the drop. It's across the board. Alcohol sales fall almost immediately when the cannabis is legalized recreationally in a state. So Constellation Brands are smart. They're getting ahead of the curve. I expect the other major liquor companies to follow too. Alcohol companies, whatever you're going to call them. So, all right. I think I've spoken enough on this. Um, you have the information. If anybody wants to um, chat more about it, if anybody wants to um, get more information, subs, S-U-B-S at valueplace.com or send a message or call 508-619-4410 and I will do my best to give you the information you need, talk more about the opportunity and uh, give you any assistance you want. So I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. A safe weekend, and I won't be back before Christmas. Hope you all have a Merry Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever it is you uh, celebrate. I hope it's the best one ever for you. Have a great weekend, guys.